0: Chapter Nineteen of Stepping Heavenward. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Stepping Heavenward by Elizabeth Prentice. Chapter Nineteen. October First. I have had a charming summer with dear mother, and now I have the great joy, so long deferred, of having her in my own home. Ernest has been very cordial about it, and James has settled up all her worldly affairs, so that she has nothing to do now but to love us and let us love her. It is a pleasant picture to see her with my little darlings about her, telling the old sweet story she told me so often, and making God and Heaven and Christ such blissful realities. As I listen, I realize that it is to her I owe that early, deep-seated longing to please the Lord Jesus." which I never remember as having a beginning or an ending, though it did have its fluctuations. And it is another pleasant picture to see her sit in her own old chair, which Ernest was thoughtful enough to have brought for her, pondering cheerfully over her Bible and her Thomas Kempis, just as I have seen her do ever since I can remember. And there is still a third pleasant picture, only that is a new one, IT IS, AS SHE SITS AT MY RIGHT HAND AT THE TABLE, THE LIVING PERSONIFICATION OF THE BLESSED GOSPEL OF GOOD TIDINGS, WITH FATHER OPPOSITE, THE FADING IMAGE OF THE LAW GIVEN BY MOSES. FOR FATHER HAS COME BACK, FATHER and ALL HIS AILMENTS, HIS PILLBOXES, HIS FITS OF DESPAIR, AND HIS FITS OF DYING. BUT HE IS QUIET AND GENTLE, AND EVEN LOVING, AND AS HE SITS IN HIS CORNER, HIS BIBLE ON HIS KNEES. I see how much more he reads the New Testament than he used to do, and that the fourteenth chapter of St. John almost opens to him of itself. I must do Martha the justice to say that her absence, while it increases my domestic peace and happiness, increases my cares also. What with the children, the housekeeping, the thought for mother's little comforts, and the concern for father's, I am like a bit of chaff, driven before the wind, and always in a hurry. There are so many stitches to be taken, so many things to pass through one's brain. Mother says no mortal woman ought to undertake so much, but what can I do? While Ernest is straining every nerve to pay off those debts, I must do all the needlework, and we must get along with servants whose want of skill makes them willing to put up with low wages. Of course, I cannot tell Mother this, and I really believe she thinks I scrimp and pinch and overdo out of mere stinginess." DECEMBER thirtieth, Ernest came to me today with our accounts for the last three months. He looked quite worried for him, and asked if there were any expenses we could cut down. My heart jumped into my mouth, and I said, in an irritated way, I am killing myself with overwork now. Mother says so. I sew every night till twelve o'clock, and I feel all jaded out. I did not mean that I wanted you to do any more than you are doing now, dear he said kindly. I know you are all jaded out, and I look on this state of feverish activity with great anxiety. Are all these stitches absolutely necessary?" You men know nothing about such things, I said, while my conscience pricked me, as I went on hurrying to finish the fifth tuck in one of Una's little dresses. Of course I want my children to look decent. Ernest sighed. I really don't know what to do. He said in a hopeless way, Father's persisting in living with us is throwing a burden on you that, with all your other cares, is quite too much for you. I see and feel it every day. Don't you think I had better explain this to him and let him go to Martha's? No, indeed, I said. He shall stay here if it kills me, poor old man. Ernest began once more to look over the bills. I don't know why it is, he said. But since Martha left us, our expenses have increased a good deal. Now the truth is, that when Auntie paid me most generously for teaching her children, I did not dare to offer my earnings to Ernest, lest he should be annoyed. So I had quietly used it for household expenses, and it had held out till the time of Martha's marriage. Ernest's injustice was, just as painful, just as insufferable, as if he had known this, and I now burst out with whatever my rasped overtasked nerves impelled me to say like one possessed ernest was annoyed and surprised i thought we had done with these things he said and gathered up the papers and went off i rose and locked my door and threw myself down upon the floor in an agony of shame anger and physical exhaustion i did not know how large a part of what seemed mere childish ill-temper was really the cry of exasperated nerves that had been on too strained attention and silent too long. And Ernest did not know it either. How could he? His profession kept him for hours every day in the open air, and there were times when his work was done, and he could take entire rest, and his health is absolutely perfect. But I did not make any excuse for myself at the moment. I was overwhelmed with the sense of my utter unfitness to be a wife and mother." Then I heard Ernest try to open the door, and finding it locked, he knocked, calling pleasantly, It is I, darling. Let me in. I opened it reluctantly enough. Come, he said. Put on your things, and drive about with me on my rounds. I have no long visits to make, and while I am seeing my patients, you will be getting the air which you need. I do not want to go, I said. I do not feel well enough. Besides, there's my work. "'You can't see to sew with these red eyes,' he declared. "'Come. I prescribe a drive as your physician.' "'Oh, Ernest, how kind, how forgiving you are!' I cried, running into the arms he held out to me. "'If you knew how ashamed, how sorry I am!' "'And if you only knew how ashamed and sorry I am,' he returned. "'I ought to have seen how you were taxing and overtaxing yourself, doing your own work, and Martha's, too. It must not go on so. By this time, with a veil over my face, he had got me downstairs and out into the air, which fanned my fiery cheeks and cooled my heated brain. It seemed to me that I have had all this tempest about nothing at all, and that with a character still so undisciplined I was utterly unworthy to be either a wife or mother. But when I tried to say so in broken words— Ernest comforted me with the gentleness and tenderness of a woman your character is not undisciplined my darling he said your nervous organization is very peculiar and you have had unusual cares and trials from the beginning of our married life i ought not to have confronted you with my father's debts at a moment when you had every reason to look forward to freedom from most petty economies and cares "'Don't say so,' I interrupted. "'If you had not told me you had this draft on your resources, "'I should have always suspected you of meanness. "'For you know, dear, you have kept me. "'That is to say, why, you could not help it. "'But I suppose men can't understand "'how many demands are made upon a mother for money almost every day. "'I got along very well till the children came. "'But since then it has been very hard.' "'Yes,' he said. I am sure it has, but let me finish what I was going to say. I want you to make a distinction for yourself, which I make for you, between mere ill-temper and the irritability that is the result of a goaded state of the nerves. Until you do that, nothing can be done to relieve you from what I am sure distresses and grieves you exceedingly. Now, I suppose that whenever you speak to me or the children— In this irritated way, you lose your own self-respect for the time, at least, and feel degraded in the sight of God also. Oh, Ernest, there are no words in any language that mean enough to express the anguish I feel when I speak quick impatient words to you, the one human being in the universe whom I love with all my heart and soul, and to my darling little children who are almost as dear. I pray and I mourn over it day and night, GOD ONLY KNOWS HOW I HATE MYSELF ON ACCOUNT OF THIS ONE HORRIBLE SIN. IT IS A SIN, ONLY AS YOU DELIBERATELY AND WILLFULLY FULFILL THE CONDITIONS THAT LEAD TO SUCH RESULTS. NOW I AM SURE, IF YOU COULD ONCE MAKE UP YOUR MIND, IN THE FEAR OF GOD, NEVER TO UNDERTAKE MORE WORK OF ANY SORT, THEN YOU CAN CARRY ON CALMLY, QUIETLY, WITHOUT HURRY OR FLURRY. And the instant you find yourself growing nervous, and like one out of breath, would stop and take a breath, you would find this simple, common-sense rule doing for you what no prayers or tears could ever accomplish. Will you try it for one month, my darling? But we can't afford it, I cried, with almost a groan. Why, you have told me this very day that our expenses must be cut down." "'And now you want me to add to them by doing less work? "'But the work must be done. "'The children must be clothed. "'There is no end of the stitches to be taken for them. "'And your stockings must be mended. "'You make enormous holes in them. "'And you don't like it if you ever find a button wanting to a shirt, "'or your supply of shirts getting low. "'All you say may be very true,' he returned. "'But I am determined.' that you shall not be driven to desperation, as you have been of late. By this time we had reached the house where his visit was to be made, and I had nothing to do but lean back and revolve all he had been saying over and over again, and to see its reasonableness, while I could not see what was to be done for my relief. Ah, I have often felt, in moments of bitter grief at my impatience with my children, that perhaps God pitied more then he blamed me for it, and now my husband was doing the same. When Ernest had finished his visit we drove on again in silence. At last I asked, do tell me, Ernest, if you worked out the problem all by yourself? He smiled a little. No, I did not, but I have had a patient for two or three years whose case has interested me a good deal, and for whom I finally prescribed just as I have done for you. The thing worked like a charm, and she is now physically and morally quite well. I dare say her husband is a rich man, I said. He is not as poor as your husband, at any rate, Ernest replied. But rich or poor, I am determined not to sit looking on, while you exert yourself so far beyond your strength. Just think, dear, suppose for fifty or a hundred or two hundred dollars a year you could buy a sweet cheerful quiet tone of mind would you hesitate one moment to do so and you can do it if you will you are not ill-tempered but quick-tempered the irritability that annoys you so is a physical infirmity that will disappear the moment you cease to be goaded into it by the exacting mistress you have hitherto been to yourself all of this sounded very plausible while ernest was talking but the moment i got home I snatched up my work from mere force of habit. I may as well finish this as it is begun, I said to myself, and the stitches flew from my needle like sparks of fire. Little Ernest came and begged for a story, but I put him off. Then Una wanted to sit on my lap, but I told her I was too busy. In the course of an hour, the influence of the fresh air and Ernest's talk had nearly lost their power over me. My thread kept breaking, the children leaned on and tired me, The baby woke and cried, and I got all out of patience. "'Do go away, Ernest,' I said, and let Mamma have a little peace. "'Don't you see how busy I am? "'Go and play with Una like a good boy.' But he would not go, and kept teasing Una till she too began to cry, and she and Baby made a regular concert of it. "'Oh, dear,' I sighed, "'this work will never be done.' and I threw it down impatiently, and took the baby impatiently, and began to walk up and down with him impatiently. I was not willing that this little darling, whom I loved so dearly, should get through with his nap and interrupt my work. Yet I was displeased with myself, and tried, by kissing him, to make some amends for the hasty, unpleasant tones with which I had grieved him and frightened the other children. This evening Ernest came to me, with a larger sum of money than he had ever given me at one time. Now— Every cent of this is to be spent, he said, in having work done. I know any number of poor women who will be thankful to have all you can give them. Dear me, it is easy to talk, and I do feel grateful to Ernest for his thoughtfulness and kindness, but I am almost in rags and need every cent of this money to make myself decent. I am positively ashamed to go anywhere, my clothes are so shabby. Besides, supposing I leave off sewing— and all sorts of overdoing in a kindred nature. I must still nurse my baby, I suppose, and be up with him nights, and the others will have their cross days and their sick days, and father will have his. Alas, there can be for me no royal road to a, quote, sweet, cheerful, quiet tone of mind, unquote. January first, 1844 My mother says Ernest is entirely right in forbidding me working so hard. I must own that I already feel better. I have had the time I need to read my Bible and to pray now, and the children do not irritate and annoy me as they did. Who knows, but I shall yet become quite amiable. Ernest made his father very happy to-day by telling him that the last of those wretched debts is paid. I think that he might have told me that this deliverance was at hand. I did not know, but we had years of these struggles with poverty before us, What, with the relief from this anxiety, my improved state of health, and father's pleasure, I am in splendid spirits today. Ernest, too, seems wonderfully cheerful. We both feel that we may now look forward to a quiet happiness we have never known. With such a husband, and such children as mine, I ought to be the most grateful creature on earth. And I have dear mother, and James, besides. I don't quite know what to think about James' relation to Lucy." HE IS SO BRIMFUL AND RUNNING OVER WITH HAPPINESS THAT HE IS ALSO FULL OF FUN AND LOVE, AND AFTER ALL, HE MAY ONLY LIKE HER AS A COUSIN. FEBRUARY 14TH FATHER HAS NOT BEEN WELL OF LATE. IT SEEMS AS IF HE KEPT UP UNTIL HE WAS RELIEVED ABOUT THOSE DEBTS, THEN SUNK DOWN. I READ TO HIM A GOOD DEAL, AND SO DOES MOTHER, BUT HIS MIND IS STILL DARK, AND HE LOOKS FORWARD TO THE HOUR OF DEATH WITH PAINFUL MISGIVINGS. HE'S GETTING A LITTLE CHILDISH ABOUT MY LEAVING HIM and clings to me exactly as if I were his own child. Martha spends a good deal of time with him, and fusses over him in a way that I wonder she does not see is annoying him. He wants to be read to, to hear a hymn sung, or a verse repeated, and to be left otherwise in perfect quiet. But she is continually pulling out and shaking up his pillows, bathing his head in hot vinegar and soaking his feet, and looks so odd to see her in one of the elegant silk dresses old Mr. Underhill makes her wear. With her sleeves rolled up, the skirt hid away under a large apron, rubbing away at poor father till it seems as if his tired soul would fly out of him. FEBRUARY twentieth, Father grows weaker every day. Ernest has sent for his other children, John and Helen. Martha is no longer able to come here. Her husband is very sick with a fever and cannot be left alone. No doubt he enjoys her bustling way of nursing and likes to have his pillows pushed from under him every five minutes. I am afraid I feel glad that she is kept away, and that I have father all to myself. Ernest never was so fond of me as he is now. I don't know what to make of it. February 22nd John and his wife and Helen have come. They stay at Martha's, where there is plenty of room. John's wife is a little soft dumpling of a thing, and looks up to him as a mouse would look up at a steeple. He strikes me as a very selfish man. He steers straight for the best seat, leaving her standing if need be, accepts her humble attentions with the air of one collecting his just debts, and is continually snubbing and setting her right. Yet in some things he is very like Ernest, and perhaps a wife destitute of self-assertion and without much individuality, would have spoiled him as Harriet has spoiled John. For I think it must be partly her fault that he dares to be so egotistical. Helen is the dearest, prettiest creature I ever saw. Oh, why would James take a fancy to Lucy? I feel that new delight of having a sister to love, and to admire, and she will love me in time, I feel sure of it. March 1st Father is very feeble, and in great mental distress. He gropes about in the dark, and shudders at the approach of death. We can do nothing but pray for him. And the cloud will be lifted when he leaves this world, if not before." FOR I KNOW HE IS A GOOD, YES SAINTLY MAN, DEAR TO GOD, AND DEAR TO CHRIST. MARCH fourth, DEAR FATHER HAS GONE. WE WERE ALL KNEELING AND PRAYING AND WEEPING AROUND HIM, WHEN SUDDENLY HE CALLED ME TO COME TO HIM. I WENT AND LET HIM LEAN HIS HEAD ON MY BREAST AS HE LOVED TO DO. SOMETIMES I HAVE STOOD SO BY THE HOUR TOGETHER, READY TO SINK WITH FATIGUE, AND ONLY KEPT UP WITH THE THOUGHT THAT IF THIS WERE MY OWN PRECIOUS FATHER'S BRUISED HEAD, I could stand and hold it forever. "'Daughter Catherine,' he said in his faint, tremulous way, "'you have come with me to the very brink of the river. I thank God for all your cheering words and ways. I thank God for giving you to be a helpmeet to my son.' "'Farewell now,' he added in a low, firm voice. "'I feel the bottom, and it is good.' He lay back on his pillow looking upward, with an expression of seraphic peace and joy on his worn, meagre face, and so his life passed gently away. Oh, the affluence of God's payments! What a recompense for the poor love I had given my husband's father, and the poor little services I had rendered him! Oh, that I have never been impatient with him, never smiled at his peculiarities, never in my secret heart felt him unwelcome to my home! and how wholly I overlooked in my blind selfishness what he must have suffered in feeling himself homeless, dwelling with us on sufferance, but master and head nowhere on earth. May God carry these lessons home to my heart of hearts, and make this cloud of mingled remorse and shame that now envelops me to descend in showers of love and benediction on every human soul that mine can bless. End of chapter 19 Recording by Teresa Downey.